1: It's getting cold, right? Where did it go? It was like really warm, and then all of a sudden it got cold it 's like here we are. I think tonight at home it 's going to be in the low 20s for where we live over in Pennsylvania so and it 's going to be a little cooler so uh, I like the cold weather, but uh, you know it 's always a shock when it first comes so uh, so welcome everybody tonight we 're going to be getting into to Genesis again. Uh, uh, last time we we had been covering going through the six days, and tonight we're gonna move on into chapter two. And I believe now that we've got past those first six days, we'll start to move through chapters uh, a little bit quicker uh, as we go through the through what we're studying. But uh, I think it will be you know quite interesting tonight in chapter two. We're gonna be sort of picking up where day six uh, left off and in a little more detail. So. Uh, what we read tonight and go through won 't really contradict six; it just adds a lot more clarity to it uh, as to what happened when God created uh, you know man and and so it 's going to be quite interesting I think um, however, as usual, you know before we get started, I always like to do a little bit of a recap i 'm not going to hit on all of the the different days as i 've been doing in the past, but I am going to pick up on a on a sort of a key. Note something that I think will be really important as we get into reading the verses that's going to tie into that really well. So let's go ahead and kind of dive into that. So if you remember, um, uh, we talked about the plant kingdom uh, in the third day. So we ta- that was when God brought forth uh, all the plants. He asked, you know, said bring forth all of the grass and the trees and the fruit trees and all of that came forth on, on onto to earth and uh, you know it consisted basically of all these living organisms if you will you know things like algae and trees and grass and you know all that kind of stuff and this stuff's super important right it's very important to us because uh, without these things god's creation wouldn't be possible Uh, these organisms contribute really significantly to earth because for one thing they produce the oxygen that we breathe and we wouldn't last very long without oxygen so we have to have that. So, but there is a, a distinction from the third day where He, where he brought that. And in Genesis 1.11, it, I'll just kind of p- pick out a certain part of that. God said, you know, let the earth bring forth. So that's kind of a key thing there. I want to focus on that bring forth for a second. Um, this distinct dif- difference, I think, uh, to the language here from the fifth and sixth day uh, I think, is where that sort of plays in. And on the fifth day, in Genesis 1.20, God said, Let the waters abound with abundance of living creatures. The word creatures there. Um, and then on the sixth day again, uh, in Genesis one twenty four, and I'm just kind of quickly recapping there, He said, Let the earth bring forth the living creature according to its kind. So again, we're... The term "creature" is being used there, uh, as opposed to just bringing forth, you know, from the land. God just speaking it into existence. This really indicates something that was different, right? So these, the the creatures, the animals, and the and 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 the, and the, and the um, sea animals as well as the land animals, they were created, right? They weren't just spoken into existence; they were actually created. And there's a difference there, and we're going to see that. And the Greek word uh, for creation is actually pronounced. Zoon, okay and it's translated as we would think animal living being you know this is the translation of 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 that word when we look at that and we also see in ancient greek literature um philosophy things like that you know they use that word quite a bit and again if you read those texts it translated to the same thing living creatures humans animals those are the things that they would reference in that so It's important to understand that, because unlike plants, um, animals are kind of given a different capacity from that creation side, right? It really suggests that animals clearly have abilities beyond plants, which I think we could all agree with, right? So what are these different abilities? Well, I think that um, what it means is that animals have the capacity to think and to reason to some degree, right? Not... Clearly, to the level of a human being, but they do have this ability to do that. They feel emotion as well. So, here on the screen is a picture of my daughter's Scottish Terrier, Jameson. Okay. And then there's this amazing, uh, whoops, I lost my screen there. There we go. Uh, There's this amazing sort of fiddle leaf fig plant that Beverly, my wife, has been growing it 's almost reaching the ceiling now it 's doing quite well. We bought this thing at Costco, and it was like only about this big so uh, it's, it's, we 're not good with plants, so this is a, a big achievement for us so <laughs> we 're keeping it alive uh, so now i 'm sure you can tell the difference between sort of your house plants and your pet and those of you that have pets, right. You know your plant has no emotion. It has no sensitivity. You know it has no response really to anything. Um, But your pet does, right? You've noticed that how your dog gets super excited when you come home after a long day, right? Very happy to greet you. You know that's that's emotion. You know from that dog, right? And we also see that dogs also, you know, have fear. They can be afraid. They can have the emotion of fear. I think about this, you know, at the Fourth of July. You know, it's usually a very traumatic experience for dogs because all the fireworks are going off and and dogs usually run for cover, right, and try to hide. Um, but, you know, your house plant, on the other hand, it, it shows no symptoms of fear. Um, you know, it sort of just sits there as the fireworks go off. You know, so, you know, this is a difference, right? You know, plants and animals obviously were created distinctly different. And this is important because it's going to kind of tie into the verses that we talk about today. And you know God he didn't bring forth man, you know He made man, He created man, as the scripture tells us. So as we go into the chapters now, you know we're going to start to delve and dig into this, So it's, let's go ahead and kind of start into Genesis. We're going to start at two one, and we're going to we'll go through the entire uh, uh, chapter two uh, tonight, so all twenty five verses, so I'll read so thus the heavens and the earth and all the hosts of them were finished. And on the seventh day, God ended His work which He had done, and He rested on the seventh day from all His work which He had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it He rested from all His work which God had created and made. So, I think there's a need to pause here uh, on this. This concept of rest is very important. In fact, I think it's, it's so important that it actually became law, right? In Exodus 28 and 9, you know, I can read this from the Ten Commandments. It says, you know, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. You know, six days you shall labor and do all of your work. But on that seventh day, we're supposed to rest. And you know, but before the Ten Commandments were actually established, before they came in, you know, I think probably taking that seventh day off was uncommon. You know, especially in farming type communities or areas. You know, people work seven days a week, but God really wanted us to rest and to reflect in that time on Him. That's what it was really about, right? It's important to understand that it's it's not really about the physical uh, tiredness that you may have or may not have. I have, Um, but uh, it's really following God's example, you know, resting every seventh day. That's what he showed us in the beginning in creation, right? To take that time. And, you know, I found that not doing this, I think if you don't take these breaks, it can have really negative effects on people, right? It it, it really can bring down the individual. If you work seven days a week, it's it's too much. And so having that time to rest is really important. However, um, you know I think that you know as as we read this, you know the key thing here is God set the example, right? So if God sets that example, it's probably really important that we follow that example. So again, here in these first three verses, He's talking about how He rested, and so we should rest. We should rejuvenate our our uh, spiritual batteries, if you will. Amen. So let's let's continue on here. So in Genesis two four. He goes on to say, um, the Bible goes on to say, this is the history of the heavens and the earth when they were created, the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Now, notice here in 2 4, the word heavens and that it's plural, right? Multiple heavens, right? So, you know, some people say that this contradicts Genesis 1 1. In particular, the older versions, like the King James Version, where it actually said, in the beginning, God created the heaven uh, and the earth. Most of the newer versions now, all the ones that I have, it says heavens now, plural there as well. But uh, there was sort of a contradiction. But I think they failed to sort of understand you know, what that meant. We studied this in day two, if, if you were here and you remember. You know, we discussed that there are three particular heavens, you know that exist that are mentioned in the bible you know the first heaven is where the birds fly right so that's what we see up in the sky up through our atmosphere and birds are flying and you know clouds exist and all of that right that's the first heaven uh, we can see reference to that in daniel 4:12 where uh, uh, it says that the birds of the heavens dwelt in its branches but it's speaking in that in that uh verse of the first heaven or the first uh layer there the second heaven is where the stars exist and we studied that also uh, back uh, in day three and so we can see that in in psalms 90 uh, 19 1 where it says the uh, the heavens declared the glory of god and the firmament which was another word you know for that but or heaven you know, showed his handiwork, and what he was talking about are the stars and the moon and the planets and the galaxies. All this that exists out in space, if you will, that's that second heaven layer. And then finally, there's the third heaven that that it's talking about there with the heavens, right? So, and we can see a reference to that from Paul in Second Corinthians twelve, two, where at the last part of that verse, Paul is saying that. God knows such as one was caught up to the third heaven he was talking about uh death there but you know and this third heaven that's the heaven where we as believers will ultimately go right that's that's the heaven that's it's beyond anything that we can see right it's not in our it's not in our uh reality of this earth if you will so these are the three dimensions talked about there I think in that third verse so But as we continue on in Genesis 2, 5, and 6, we read, uh, Before any plant of the field was in the earth, and before the herbs of the field had grown, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the earth, and there was no man to till the ground. But a mist went up from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. So, as we see here, it seems like clearly, right, in this verse, that the, that the Lord had a natural way to automatically water everything, all right? It's sort of built-in sprinkler system, if you will. Um, and in today's time, we understand how water works uh, and evaporates, right? It evaporates from the ocean, it becomes clouds, you know, and then those clouds come out across and then it falls as, as precipitation, as rain, snow, sleet, hail, things like these. And then that melts back down or, or runs back down through creeks and streams and rivers and it makes its way back to the ocean. And that cycle is what brings rain to us today. But in the days before Noah, right, pre-flood, it didn't rain. There was no rain, right? The earth received its water from evaporation that came up as dew and fog as described in verse 6. Um, I think another reason, though, that it didn't rain, most likely, you know, had to do with the big layer of water that existed in the sky. It was like a vapor. We studied this in day two. And it was called a hydrosphere, right? So, it was like a greenhouse that went completely around the earth. That's how they've been able to find uh, tropical plants up at the polar caps and things like that when they've been doing studies. And, and that you know, so... At one point, the entire Earth was like a giant greenhouse, so it was it was beautiful, right? So, but because of that hydrosphere, you know, there were no winds and things like that, so the conditions just weren't there for there to be rain. So, as we move on in, into two seven, and this is where I think we get into sort of the a big chunk of this here, right? Is it says, and Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground. And He breathed into the nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. So, uh, this verse is describing, really, the completion of the heaven and earths. It's sort of the final creation of man from dust, and whom God breathed life into. So, I think it's really important to note here uh, that mankind is unique in God, as, as part of God's creation, right? Right? You know, the previous days of completion, it was all, all um, that we heard from God, right, at the end of each day was, it was good, okay? That, it always ended with that. God saw that it was good, right? However, in Genesis one thirty one, after the completion of, of man, man and woman, um, we saw God declare that it was very good. So obviously, that was a crowning sort of point there, right? This distinction, I think, arises uh, from the belief that you know humans are made in the image and likeness of God. We studied that last time, and really, you know, God sets us apart from all of the other creatures that exist. You know, He calls that out. I think we are very special in God's view, and so as we dig deeper into seven, and I'm going to read it again, verse seven. It says, "And the Lord God formed man." of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living being that really that really means that mankind was created with a similar capacity to animals you know we have a soul okay and through though our soul is much more complex than animals you know we have a greater intelligence, right? And with this, and through our soul, we have the ability to to feel, right? We have feelings and we can uh, have emotions, right? Deep emotions. We can love, right? We can be loved by others. Um, We can grieve. uh, We can have sadness. We can have joy. We can basically have the entire spectrum of human emotion. Um, But it also says that you know, God's man. Uh, God made man's body from the dust of the ground, and this means that the tiny parts that make up the earth, okay, the elements that we learned about when we were kids in science and school, right? Elements like oxygen and calcium and nitrogen. These are all these things that are that are that exist all around us in the dirt and in the rocks and so forth. They're the same elements that make up our body, our skin, our bones, everything. It all comes from these. These same elements, right? Um, even though it might not seem like it, when we look at the giant boulders and rocks in your yard, or you know, when you're out hiking or something to that effect, right? You know, and and we find that those are the same thing. They've studied them, right? We're we're made of the same thing. So we're made from the dust of the earth, and we have this soul. However, God did something different for mankind than He did for the plants and and bringing forth all of that and for the animals and so forth he did something that set us apart so let's 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 read two seven one one more time there's more in there right so and the lord god formed man from the dust of the ground as we just talked about and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living being i'll say that sort of middle part again it says he breathed into the nostrils the breath of life this is the breath of life right? The Hebrew word for that, uh, for that that uh, breath, is um, neshamah Okay, and it really it translates to breath. That's one of the translations. But more importantly, it translates also to spirit. Okay, so I believe that you know God gave life by breathing into our nostrils. Now, God, I don't think God literally blew like we might. You know. It's 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 very different, right? Uh, but instead, you know, it was a way to describe how God gave us life. You know, even though man was fully formed, God formed us, right? We had lungs and bones and all of those parts, right? Um, we weren't alive. We needed energy to start working. You know, uh, the heart had to start beating, and everything inside needed to begin to work and so when god breathed into the nost- uh, our nostrils right the breath of life he infused that into us and i think that is what sets us apart from everything else right that gave us a spirit so we're made up of body soul and spirit right and you know this spirit really is important because it allows us to connect and commune and have an eternal relationship with God, right? Without that Spirit, we can't have that relationship. So that's why it's there. I think it, it uh, as I said before, it distinguishes us from creation, but I think the true essence of a person, as, as we would all probably agree, it's not really a physical thing, right? It's spiritual. It says, you know, this body's temporary. When I die, it'll turn back to dust. But the Spirit is eternal, Right? It's eternal. Amen? Amen. So let's continue on. So we go on into Genesis back in. We're into verse 8 and 9 now. So, the Lord God planted a garden eastward of Eden. And there He put the man whom He had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of, no, of the knowledge of good and evil. All right? So at this time, we have to understand in the verses, you know, the world is under control of the human, humans, Adam in this case, right? And everything is good. There's no sin. Everything is perfect. It's, it's, it's beautiful, right? But now we learn about this really special area set up by God, right? It's, it's a unique garden. Um, this place was named Eden. And, you know, Eden uh, defined, it means joy. It can also mean uh, delicacy, which is another you know, rich word, luxury, delight. These are words that describe, you know, what Eden is. Now, this picture that I have up on the screen probably doesn 't come anywhere close you know to the beauty of Eden, of course, but it 's still a breathtaking picture right it 's beautiful. you know the verses tell us that Eden had all kinds of fruit trees with tasty fruit and all this stuff uh, just was just right at the picking, right? Just really imagine just walking through there and just being able to eat whatever you want right it 's just beautiful but It's also important, I think, to note that God made this garden Himself. That's what what the verses say, right? He made this place, okay? Uh, Just like He made the human body and gave it life, He created this garden. And I think that, you know, it's important. It's different than how He brought forth vegetation and all of that on on, on the earth in day three or two. Um, But uh, in this case you know, it's more intimate, right? It's something He put together Himself. Uh, We also learned that amongst these trees, there was the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Now, I'll say right now that for the tree of knowledge of good and evil, we're going to get pretty deep into that next time, you know, that we meet because we're going to have an encounter with that tree. So, uh, but I think it's safe to say for now that, you know, Eden, and in this place where we are in the verses, was probably the most beautiful place we could have ever imagined. Amen? So, as we continue on here in in Genesis 10 through 14, we'll find a little bit more about the location of Eden. And this was, I I found this part to be really interesting when I researched it. So, I'll go ahead and read from uh, verse 10 to 14. So, now a river went out of Eden to water the garden, and from there it parted and be, uh, became four river heads. Right. The name of the first is Pishon. It is uh, the one which skirts the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good, uh, but uh, bdellium and onyx stones are there, uh, and then in 13, it says, the name of the second river is Gihon. Uh, it is the one which goes around the whole land of Cush. The name of the third river is, uh, I have trouble with this word, but Hydekil, haid- 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 okay? And it is the one which goes towards the east of Assyria. And the fourth river was the Euphrates. So, Right now, I'm going to put up a picture and I'm going to preface it right away. We do not know where Eden is, right? It, there's not enough information and we don't know, but a lot of people have spent a lot of time studying it. And so I'm going to share with you a little bit of what I learned. Um, as you can see in the box up there, uh, the red box that's there, that is a proposed possible location of where Eden may be. Um, There's reason for that, and I'll explain that. Um, But we don't know. Okay, so we'll just start right away. And that area right there uh, is basically uh, Iraq. That would be the lower part of Iraq where it comes up to the Persian Gulf. Um, You'll have Iran up above to to, to the... uh, Let me turn around this way. To this side of it. Uh, And then you'll have like uh, Jordan and so forth. You can see Israel over here on the side where the Great Sea is. That's where Israel would be. Okay? So now... Bear in mind, like I said, it's speculation, but you know, here's some of the history that goes behind this that I was able to, to read about and research, so I'll share it with you. So, um, as I stated, the exact location of the, the Gihon and the uh, Pishon rivers, uh, they, they've never been able to find those, right? There's no, there's no recorded history that carries forward those names, so they don't have a way to really trace them back. You know, the verses just read and describe that the Gihon, uh, as a river, it winds through the entire land of Cush. Uh, some in, uh, interpretations associate Kush with the region that is uh, south, uh, sort of south of ancient Egypt, you know, kind of, kind of probably modern-day Sudan. Um, based on this, some also uh, speculate that it could be possibly the Nile, or maybe tributaries that came off of the Nile. Again, we don't know. So this is, like I said, speculation. You know, others that studied this, a lot of uh, uh, research that was done, uh, you know, proposed other locations, possibly Armenia uh, or the Arabian Peninsula. These are places where this river may have existed. Um, the Pishon River, on the other hand, it says that it in the Bible that it winds through the entire land of uh, Hevelah, uh, where there is gold. Well, again, we don't know the location of Hevelah. There's no history that that uh, biblical or you know secular that that tells us where that is. So it's uncertain. But some of the theories around it suggest that it might be located also possibly in the Arabian Peninsula area, um, and they there's some old ancient riverbeds that are in that region, which is sort of why they've drawn that box or put it where. Where I was showing it on the map up there, um, that kind of lead to the fact that well maybe, but again it's still a, it's still a maybe. There are also other theories that put it somewhere else in other parts of the Middle East and even in Africa. So again, um, we don't know. But it's also important to note that um, you know the, the the other two rivers, you know, which is the the he, he de, he de kill which is basically, we'll get to Tigris, right? That's the Hebrew name actually for Tigris, uh, and the Euphrates River. Those are pretty well-known rivers. They've been around for a long time. They exist today. They're still in place today, right? So the, at least we have two of the of the four that we know. Um, and those rivers date back for thousands of years. So, you know, um, they have very ancient origins. So Tigris is just the Latin name for the word river, um, Euphrates was actually derived from an ancient Greek name, which is really kind of the same thing. Euphrates is obviously slightly spelled different. But but the rivers are mentioned in ancient texts, uh, including the Bible, of course. But it's also list, list, uh, listed in, in a lot of cuneiform uh, uh, inscriptions from Mesopotamian civilizations. So like Sumerians, the Akkadians, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, um, there's, there's reference to these. So as far back as around 3000 BC that we have actual writings about this. So it's safe to say that um, these two rivers are probably, at least in our historical account, 5,000 years that they've been in place. But we need to keep in mind that Eden you know, uh, was pre-flood. Okay? And the rivers that exist today, while they existed, clearly the Bible tells us that they did, the way they are today is post-flood. So, what happened after that flood, and they could have caused them to shift or, you know, be in sort of different areas. So, again, we don't quite know exactly, obviously, where Eden is, but uh, it is still very interesting to, you know, research and understand it. But as we kind of move on, you know, out of that part, um, before I, you know, continue in the verses, I, I do want to sort of discuss one topic that we're we're going to hit on really in the next. In sort of the next few verses here, and that's a concept that I was reading about called moral choice. Right? Adam was made to look like God, and he was given control over the earth. Um, you know, he lived in a perfect place and really needed nothing. Right? Everything was provided. Um, but it's also important to, to to remember, I think, that you know, to whom much is given, much is expected. I believe God expected you know a lot from Adam uh it's hard to i think it's hard to understand you know why you know god decided to create us as humans um i don't i'm not going to be the one to sort of answer that question uh but you know it is a deep question and i know god answers it in the bible we have a lot of you know pointers to that which we've been talking about but uh, you know, I think what really matters is we'll be able to have that conversation with him in the in the future, and 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 really begin to understand that. I'm excited to actually understand that. But I I do believe that God's message tells us that He is a loving God, and uh, He created humans. I think um, to have that you know love, and I think that He was looking for humans really to love Him. Right? It was it's 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 a two-sided sort of. Relationship, right, and that 's the same thing that we see in our earthly relationships, right? Love belongs with two sides, right you 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 give and the other gives, and you freely come together, but there's that choice that exists there it 's part of that spirit uh, that's been given to us. We can't really love something that, that doesn't have any feeling or can't think, right? Inanimate objects, we can't love them. We can think we love them, but they can't love us back, so that true love can't really occur, right? So, I believe God made you know us humans to love Him, and He gave us uh, a choice to love Him or not. And unfortunately, in this world that we live in today, I think we're seeing a lot of not uh, around us. But... I think that you know this whole the, the creation and the uh, of man and Eden and everything that kind of came together, there was i think a choice that needed to be made right a choice by us you know was Adam going to choose to follow god 's rules and worship him and only him and love him you know or not so now, as we continue on into. Two fifteen, we start, and, and seventeen, we'll start to kind of expand this. And the next time I'm up here, we'll be in three, and we'll really expand it. But it says in fifteen, when then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and keep it up. And the Lord God commanded uh, the man, saying, "Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but." of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So, God told Adam to take care of this garden, and He set that, as we see in the verses, before He set the rules in place. And that means that Adam had a job. He had to look after this garden. He had to tend it and take care of it. Now, I would argue that was probably a pretty easy job in the Garden of Eden because there were no weeds. Uh, You know, he's not having to be out there pulling up weeds, right? And thorns and thistles, that didn't exist, right? So it was probably just sort of keeping it neat and taking care of it. But what I think it's important to note here that even in a perfect place, people still had to work. So it shows to us, I think, that work is, is a good thing. Working is a good thing. Being busy and doing things is a good thing, Right? And so I think we see that there. So I think he kept it looking good and nice and orderly. And then, of course, you know, God set a rule in place, right? He said, Look, Adam, you can eat of any tree, including the special tree of life, right? You can eat the fruit, but you cannot eat the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, right? You can't eat from that tree because if you do, you'll surely die, right? He set that, you know, very clear. Concise instruction. Um, so you know we 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 really understand that not eating from that tree was a, really I think a way to show that he loved and trusted God. Adam, right? I mean this is this is a, what's put in place. So I think you know as we as we continue on in Genesis two eighteen, we'll see here and then. Uh, and the Lord God said, it's not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. So after creating everything on in six days, God found everything to be very good, you know, in, in His words, right? In Genesis 1, you know, 31. However, the creation was still incomplete. There was one last piece, and it was without a woman so man being alone was not ideal so God said it's it's not good for the man uh, for the man should not or to 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 be alone so at this point you know all the animals have been created as male and female but you know there's no man uh, uh, there's no other uh, companion for man So in order to address this, I think God decided to create a companion for man. He called it um, the helper comparable to him. However, uh, before this happens, you know, God has a job for Adam, right? And we read in verses 19 through 20, it says, Out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air, and he brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So Adam gave names to all the cattle, to the birds of the air, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. So again, same words, right? So, I think what we learn here is Adam met many animals. Um, He might have met all the animals, Uh, I don't think it's completely clear, but he met many animals. Um, I think um, there's no way for us to completely know, but I assume he showed him certain animals, definitely, right? Because that's what it says. Definitely animals that lived in and around Eden, for sure, because that's where he placed him, okay? I'm not sure if he saw animals far away, you know, around the earth, because the earth is obviously quite large, right? And there were animals... I think populating the whole earth, so I'm not sure if if Adam saw all of those. It doesn't say, but um, but something we can learn uh, uh, is when we're in you know it's something I think that I'm sorry that we can learn when we're in heaven, right? So, but Adam is seeing these animals, especially in pairs. I think this made Adam feel alone. You know, in essence, Adam was seeing that all the animals had partners. He began to see. Uh, there was sort of a big difference between him and the animals, and I think this process also sort of made him realize that I need someone as well like me some someone that I could truly bond with. so I also feel God knew that Adam was you know being alone was not good because he said that right, and that 's why God addressed this so what 's interesting here though is that God personally formed the woman 's body using a very unique and I think a very symbolic method, right? A method that both man and woman would always remember. So we read in 21 and 22, it says, And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam. And he slept, and he took one of his ribs, and he closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from the man he made into a woman and he brought her to the man so here we learn that god made a partner for adam someone similar but also different and in addition to this we see i think this at this point sort of the crowning finish to his creation all these pieces have been completed now in those those six days. Bear in mind, this is a, a detailed account of day six. Um, I I also, you know, find it really interesting how God made Eve. You know, I feel the process has a very special meaning. Instead of making her from the ground like He made Adam, He made her from Adam's body, and I think this shows that their bond, right, the bond. And I also think that it might have been God's way of, of showing us a much deeper spiritual message. You know, as I studied you know this section, I learned the word rib. I, I looked it up uh and uh in the Hebrew and you know I found that there was probably another sort of word there that was went along with rib that I thought was was a better way to sort of look at it. And it said in the Hebrew that word is called Selah, right? which it means rib, but it also means side. And so what's interesting when you take the word side and you, 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 you kind of plug that in or, or, or reference that, um, it shows that men and women are equal. And basically, I see that man and women stand side by side, right? And they're joined together as one. You know, the story also talks about closing up the flesh. He closed up the flesh. Uh, when he removed the rib from Adam, and I think this is also very important. you know the blood and life that exists inside of all of us right we can 't live without it, right so you know God was careful to to seal that back up and to not you know lose that. We need that blood, but it also reminds us of somebody else 's blood right the blood of Jesus that he sacrificed on the cross for our sins so you know, blood is super important. It has many meanings throughout the Bible. It's referenced, you know, quite a bit. So, um, I think that that's also, you know, another aspect of that that lesson there. But let's wrap this up um, as we continue here. Let's go on through 23 and 24, where, you know, it says, And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. It's clear here that God showed Adam and Eve, you know, well, you know, Adam actually felt She is a part of Him, right? That bond, again, that we talk about. And I think this is the foundation and starting point, of course, of marriage. This verse is referenced in probably almost every wedding. Uh, I know it was in my daughter's wedding uh, recently. So, um, it's, it's, it's so powerful, right? The Bible teaches us that when people get married, they become one. And it's important to understand, in the eyes of God, marriage is it's supposed to last forever, right? When you when you come to that union, it's supposed to be forever. However, you know, I understand we're sinners, right? We make mistakes and, you know, there are provisions for that in God's Word. I'm not going to, you know, delve into that tonight, but, you know, we understand that. But I think in the context of this sort of discussion, you know, uh, it's important to note marriage is very, very special, all right? It's not something that animals do. You know, it's unique and special for humans only. So, when man and woman, you know, become one in marriage, they tend to have a family, right? And that's what they were supposed to do. Uh, And, you know, that family, you know, as it grows underneath, you know, the the proper leadership of, of of the family, the structure, and it follows God's rules, and you you know, it becomes a very amazing and beautiful bond, a family, right? Unfortunately, in our world today, I think we've strayed quite far from this. Um, I mean, I believe the attacks on the nuclear family are tragic. They're terrible. Uh, What's been happening, you read about it in the news every day. And I really feel honestly that if we would return to these biblical teachings, these principles on marriage, and and brought our families back together and healed them. You know, the whole world would be a much better place. Amen. So, as we look at the very final verse here, um, we see uh, in Genesis 2:25 we read, "And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed." I think this tells us that Adam and Eve were the first couple, right? they They started the first family. Uh, they were a perfect match for each other, obviously, right in soul in body and 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 in, in mind um, at this point, there was no sin, so there was no shame right they didn't wear clothes because there was no embarrassment um and If you think about it at at that time, they were the only humans, so there was no, nobody else around to be shy anyway right so um I think it was. Uh, you know, sort of an amazing life as as we look at how things were before we get into the next chapter. And of course, that chapter will wreak havoc on the, everything that we know today. Um, but, you know, so much so, I think the havoc has been wreaked that, you know, Jesus Christ would have to die on the cross. You know, He would have to shed His blood for our sins uh, and I think this is the truth, or you know, of our faith. It bonds us. It's 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 the most important aspect of anything I think in the Bible that exists. There are so many you know beautiful stories and lessons and things to be learned, but it all boils down to John three sixteen and, and seventeen. I like as well. So where Jesus said, "For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him." should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him, Jesus, might be saved. This is the one and only truth that matters uh, to all of us right now. It's so important that we understand that God, our Creator, gave us a path to everlasting life with Him. I think I told this story once, but my grandmother would never sit with someone that she didn't know, she didn't know who they were and and, and about them, more than 10 minutes before she would ask, do you know where you're going to spend eternity? Every, Every time she would do it. I think she did it even to my wife when she first met her. You know, the beautiful thing is, is it's not hard to have that guarantee that you're going to heaven. It's not hard to know where are you going to spend eternity. It's a simple prayer. You just acknowledge that you're a sinner and that you need a savior. You need to ask Jesus for forgiveness of your sins. You know next, you ask Jesus uh, into your heart to live with you in a beautiful relationship that can't even be described by words. Um, and then you just turn and walk away from from the sinful ways that are of your past, Amen, Heavenly Father, we thank you so much, Father, for this night. Uh, we thank you, Father, for this opportunity to study your word i I pray Father, that your words just float out, Lord, and that it touch hearts those that may be online, Lord, or that you know many many people that watch these videos we see even days, weeks, and months later, Lord, they show up in searches on YouTube. Lord, we, we pray that the words through every single one of them that we've put up there, there's been hundreds of them now, Lord, that they're reaching souls, that they're touching people, Father, that people are finding a path to You, Lord God. We just pray that in the name of Jesus and ask You to be with us and travel with us home safely tonight, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.